Hey guys, Maria Menunos here. Before your favorite TV after show begins, we want to let you know about my new show on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. It's called Conversations with Maria, and it's live Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Go to conversationswithmaria.com for more info. Buzz you later. You're tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries, and your number one source for after show entertainment. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Alright, hello, welcome to AfterBuzz TV, and this is our very first episode of The Prophet. And I'm, I'm just, here is The Prophet myself because I'm alone on the panel for the moment. <laughs> it's not going to stay that way long. Uh, I'm Chris Howard, and uh, remember you can watch this live on AfterBuzzTV.com. You can also pick up the podcast on AfterBuzz. Uh, TV at iTunes, so it's definitely some place to look uh, to catch the future episodes as we move forward as well. So I'm very excited about this show. Uh, this we're, we're moving right into episode three, and we're beginning with the very first episode. And we've been waiting for a while to get this uh, this episode going with uh, After Buzz, and we decided to jump into the waters. And uh, I just came over from Shark Tank, so we're doing Shark Tank as well uh, to bring you the Prophet. And I've got to tell you that the, the Prophet is absolutely one of my favorite shows on television. If you're watching right now, you're probably a big fan of the Prophet as well. And what I think really separates the Prophet from a show like Shark Tank, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, is that on Shark Tank, they're making the initial investments uh, in the entrepreneur. And then every now and then we'll get the snip and we'll see you know, how far they've come. Uh, but in The Prophet, uh, with uh, Marcus Lemonis, who came over, I believe that Marcus, his first uh, foray into television was with The Secret Millionaire. He was on an episode of that. Now, here he is with his own television show, and it's a telefo uh, television show that rocks, and you know that if you've been watching it, right? So, um, and by the way, you can reach out to me, you can tweet me at any time at Chris Howard Live and join the conversation. Give me your the thoughts. Let me know what you think about the show, what you think about the episode that we're going to be going into here, if you have any comments, uh, and what you think about the deal structure, how Marcus moves forward on these types of deals. Because as you may or may not know, what happens is Marcus puts his own money up for the show. So he'll go in and he puts up, uh, you know, sometimes I've seen him put up up to $2 million in a single episode to buy into a portion of a company. And it's typically a company that's not doing well, right? So a company that uh, or has done well, has some track record of success, but they're about to go under. So what Marcus is, is really a business turnaround expert. And what really attracted me to this show uh, was the, uh, you know, the fact that I came from the world of uh, personal transformation, been in the seminar business for uh, as long as I can remember, past, <laughs> past 20 years. And I've been blessed to travel all over the planet, helping people 
to transform their businesses and their lives. I did $100 million in sales myself of my seminars worldwide. And uh, so this this was a, a subject that spoke really close to my heart. And it was a subject that I felt that I really had some value to lend in terms of insight and a personal point of view on each episode. And so why not jump straight into this episode right now? We're looking at episode uh, number one of season three once again, and this is SJC Drums. So uh, as I was looking at this episode, the, the whole episode in a nutshell here is we've got a drum company and it's a drum company. We're talking about drums that you play, right? Music. Uh, and it's a uh, drum company that's done very well. So they've got famous people that are using their drums. Imagine Dragons, Lady Gaga. The, you know, they've got uh, they've made a name for themselves in the marketplace, especially in the celebrity marketplace and the high-end drum market. So when Marcus first went in to examine the deal, which he does, and I'm sure he's he's vetting every deal that he goes into. Most of the uh, deals don't even make it to the table, right? So um, he's vetting the deals, but as he goes into the deal, he notices that the drum sets cost about $6,000 to produce, which is way out of range for your average uh, person that might purchase drums. So... Uh, his job is to turn the business around. And the reason why I think this is so critical for us in today's day and age is because we've got more and more people that are jumping into uh, running their own businesses. And perhaps even you're thinking about running your own business, more and more people jumping into it than ever before. Right? We've got with outsourcing and downsizing, you know, you've got companies that can uh, find people to do your job oftentimes for half the, you know, for a fraction of the price on the other side of the planet. Uh, in the Philippines, Marissa, the producer on the other side, uh, somebody can do that job online for a fraction of the price. So with outsourcing now, we've got companies that are downsizing and we've got this flood of people coming in to the entrepreneurial uh, marketplace saying, hey, uh, you know, why not me? You look at a company like uh, like Instagram that builds up with 12 employees and then sells to Facebook for a billion dollars uh, and millennials are coming out saying, hey, wait a second, uh, more and more people are making more and more money at younger and younger ages. Why not me? And, and that's the reality. Why not you? Right. And I think that, uh, you know, I, it's my belief and tell me if you think I'm wrong. Tweet me once again. You can tweet me at Chris Howard live on, on Twitter. Um, you can also reach me at legendarylivingdaily.com and on YouTube at legendarylivingtv.com. Uh, and once again, you can pick up the podcasts of these episodes on iTunes. Uh, but, but I believe that people that are fans like you and I of a, a television show like The Prophet, uh, we like it because there's something to learn. You know, it's kind of like Shark Tank. There's something to learn when you analyze the deals that the sharks are making. And whether it's it's just uh, inspiring you in some way to perhaps consider the possibility of following an entrepreneurial dream and putting structure underneath your uh, wildest uh, wildest dreams and, and boldest amb ambitions and your, your biggest intentions that you could possibly have, whether it's just that inkling of uh, the uh, idea to do that or whether you're already 
running a business on your own and you're looking for new concepts and ideas uh, to build that business, or perhaps you're an investor and you're looking for uh, concepts and ideas so that you can use your money more wisely. And uh, you're in the right place. Because what we like this type of show, and so my job here, as I see it, is over this uh, little time that we get to spend together, is break down this episode, uh, share my point of view in terms of what makes it work, uh, how you know how Marcus is structuring things. I'm a big fan; he's really doing it well. I think CNBC's put something together that's uh, really spectacular here. But uh, you're the co-host. Right. So your job is to interact and, and, and tweet and to post on the if you're on YouTube right now, make sure that you're posting any of your ideas about the episode. And if you disagree with me, then disagree out loud and let me know about it so we can uh, have a, a, a healthy debate or a healthy conversation about it. Um, so there's a lot to be learned. That's the point. The point is there's a lot to be learned from shows like this. And uh, I think that uh, we're living in a day and age where uh, people are looking to be both educated and entertained as well as inspired. And uh, they've uh, they've hit the mark here with CNBC. So uh, back to the specific episode here, we've got uh, the drum Store. So they've got their drums, uh, the standard drum set once again sells for about $6,000. High end drums, classy drum sets. In walks Marcus because he's been invited, right? So you can uh, actually apply if you want to apply to be on the profit and have your uh, business evaluated for a potential turnaround. That's something you can do on the show. And they go through an evaluation process. These people obviously made it through. Uh, the head of the company is a guy named Mike. And so Marcus Lemonis uh, goes out. He's the he's the prophet, which I love. Great title. Uh, goes out uh, to uh, what looks like an expo uh, to first have his very first meeting uh, with Mike and the team over at the at the drum store. And when he gets out to the expo, you know, there's, there's people everywhere. The music is great. The drum sets look incredible. You know, it's not the standard drum set that you're going to find in a, in a music store down the street. Uh, this is the real deal. These are built for uh, rock and roll stars. Yeah, so he comes in. And what I love about Marcus is he gets right down to the point. He knows his numbers and he knows the right questions to ask. You know, once again, I'm going to make the referral to Shark Tank. It's okay. They're with the same network, so <laughs> they won't mind. Right. But with the, the, the sharks know the right questions to ask in order to, uh, either take that investment opportunity or not make that investment opportunity in a very brief period of time. Uh, I'm also on the panel for the, the Shark Tank and we had the other day a guy by the name of Sean Patel that came on who achieved, uh, he actually succeeded on Shark Tank. He got a $250,000, right? And if you're, you know, as you're listening to this and if you're building a dream, consider that. What would it be like to have a $250,000 investment in that dream? Would that help you in any way? Uh, maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. Maybe you're thinking 250 million. <laughs> I don't know. It all depends on where you're at, right? But uh, Sean succeeded in getting a $250,000 uh, investment from Mark Cuban, a billionaire owner of the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, so he got that and he also got a partner. 
And essentially, uh, Shark Tank, if you think about that show, that's the, that's the entryway. That's the rapport. That's the hello. And what the profit is and what we're seeing here is kind of the, the rest of the game. You know, the full evaluation of the business and the building of the business and looking into the infrastructure and what's really working there. You know, from a Shark Tank perspective, we've got to make a decision very quickly based on questions and there's due diligence. This is why I brought up Sean from a little while ago, because uh, as he came on as a guest and on this show, we're going to have lots of guests because I have lots of guest experts that are available in terms of the realm of business and business building and business turnaround. I've been in the business myself for a long time. Uh, so we've got uh, access to a lot of people. So you're going to want to stay tuned and join us for a lot of these episodes um, and download the podcast and and and, and get, join the conversation. You know, that's what it's all about because um, we have a great, great opportunity here. Um, but what Sean said was there was a lot of due diligence after the episode. So once the deal was given by Mark, Mark wanted 10% of Sean. Once that deal was given, there was more due diligence. And then finally, the investment kicked in uh, a, a while after the episode was done. Well, with uh, and we don't see all that right with the profit. We get to see some of that. So this is why I love this show. Both beautiful shows. Right. Uh, and both incredible learning experiences. I think that if you're an entrepreneur and you know, I come from a background where I've written two best-selling books on the, the and I'm not saying this to tap my own horn. I'm just so you know that who's talking to you. I wrote two best-selling books on the, on the uh, idea of building your passions, turning your passions into profits. I trained more million dollar plus speakers, trainers, coaches, consultants than anybody else in the personal and professional development industry over a period of oh, almost a decade in at least four countries in the world. So, I come in with some uh, expertise specifically in this area, and I also come in from a space of humility uh, and and a space of appreciation for uh, true brilliance, because I made a lot of mistakes and I made a lot of successes, as has uh, Mark, uh, Marcus Lamonis. I was watching an interview with him on the way over here, and he was very humble. You know, we learn our biggest learnings in our times of greatest crisis. And, you know, as the he's going into this drum company, uh, this is a great learning experience for them, because essentially what it means is that these guys have thrown up their arms and they've said, hey, we need help. We're in a place where we can't move any further in our business unless we have a game changer. And Marcus is coming in as the game changer. And so the first thing that he notices as a game changer is the price of the drums. The $6,000 price point is going to easily uh, kick many people out of the marketplace in terms of even being a potential uh, customer for that. In your own business, you may want to consider that as well. You know, what are the price points of what it is that you do? But uh, Marcus's philosophy is to look for three things. And he states that over and over again through the various episodes that he does. He looks first for people, then process, then product, right? So the product and the price points, if if you look at it in his descending order, product and price points is usually going to be third. It's going to be the people first. But nonetheless, that product at that price point stands out as being a barrier to entry for the consumer. Marcus gets that. And it's such an important thing to get because you, know, the, you could have the best product or service in the world, but if the, the if it's priced incorrectly, uh, nobody's going to purchase it, 
right? So the question becomes, how do we, uh, how do we move people toward that purchase? And this is what I love about this episode, because not only does uh, Marcus, I think Marcus has really matured in the way he makes his investments from season one to two to right now. We find ourselves in season three. He's really matured. He's made more distinctions about the things he has to tighten up about, right, in terms of uh, who's actually in charge when he puts the money in. Uh, and he makes that very, very clear to these guys. He says, I'm going to put some money in. I'm not going to tell you how much money yet, just in case you haven't seen the episode. I'll tell you in a little while. But he puts some money in, but he makes, he makes it very, very clear. I'm 100% in charge, right? What I say goes. Uh, even though he only comes in as a third partner with two other partners, he makes it clear that what he says goes because if he didn't make that clear, then he could throw $400,000. Well, okay. So now, you know, I revealed it. <laughs> he could throw $400,000 into a particular business like in this one and then have the entrepreneurs run crazy with his money. Uh, and he's uh, stuck uh, as a silent participant, but that's not the role that he plays. And I think it's become more and more clear uh, from one to two to now season three uh, that he's making that very clear to the entrepreneur right up front, that if I'm going to invest in, in this business at this point in this stage as a turnaround expert, and that's what I am, I'm being Marcus here for a second. That's what I am as well, but I'm being Marcus. Uh, he's, uh, you know, certainly, uh, uh, got the background, the experience, and he's got the money. He's putting, this is his own money that he's putting into these businesses. Then he's not going to let somebody just take that money and use it how they want. He's going to dictate how that money goes in and how it gets spent in order to best grow the investment for all. And, uh, so that's, that's, that's an important piece, but he's taken aback by the drums. And I think that this is, uh, this is really important. I think it's, it's critical, mission critical to be able to look at a business and say, what are the assets that this business has? And when I'm thinking of assets, and I think when Marcus is thinking of assets, we're not just thinking of a tangible asset like a table or a microphone here, um, uh, or even uh, the people assets like uh, me or Marissa, the producer on the other side. Uh, we're not thinking uh, just of those assets. It's like, we're thinking of what are the value of the assets. What are the assets that might not even be able to be put on a, on a balance sheet, right? So he immediately notices the power and impact of the drums. People love the drums. Okay. So if we were to, we were to put that in an imaginary balance sheet for ourselves, we throw that over into an asset. We know we got that working for us. People love them. We've got uh, professional rock stars that are, you know, playing on on stages to that are sold out the thousands and auditoriums that are using these drum sets. So there's something that's very special about the drums, but not accessible to the consumer. So he's recognizing, I guess we could say their strengths. I called it an asset. We think of it as a strength. That's what I notice. If you notice something different, let me know. Once again, tweet me at Chris Howard Live. Uh, and and let me know. I'd love to know what you think uh, is different there as well. And you can also just type your responses directly under the video at AfterBuzzTV.com. Uh, or, or, of course, you can also always watch replays on AfterBuzz on YouTube. Right? So he notices the value of the drums. They got a great product. Um, his first thing, though, is always to look for the people. So he starts to have a conversation with the people that are there at the expo. Remember, we're in a crowded expo right now. And he meets Mike. 
Now, Mike is the owner of the company, and he became the owner. And here's here's where uh, things get uh, a, a little messy. And in my experience, and uh, perhaps your own, or if you're thinking of launching a business, or you know somebody, you got a loved one who has a business, anything like this, uh, the mess and the drama, which makes for good drama on TV, but you know what? When it happens in real life, it's hell, <laughs> right? We call that hell in TV. We call it entertainment. I think it's that German concept of what do they call it? Schroden, Freud, or something like that. It's the uh, the taking pleasure in other people's pain. Um, that's I know I pronounced it wrong. You can uh, tweet me and let me know how to really pronounce that as well. Uh, but that whole idea of taking pleasure in somebody else is pain. You know, we experience it in our own business or our own life. It's a challenge. But when we get to watch it on TV, wow, this is great TV, right? So the challenge that they had within this company was that the, the company was launched by two brothers. So we had Mike and we had Scott. And uh, yeah, Mike and Scott. And so when they launched uh, the company, they were both 50-50 shareholders. Now, Whenever you're a 50-50 shareholder with somebody else, you know, inherently within that, this is my opinion, this is, this is not the opinion of AfterBuzz TV. This is my opinion, right? The, the powers that be kick on. No, no that's just the air conditioning. Um, but if you're 50-50 partners, then the question becomes, who's the decision maker? Who makes the final decision on things? And therein lies a challenge. And I've known over the years in businesses that I've worked with and people that I've coached that that can be a real challenge of being a 50% partner. Uh, you've got to come to agreement on everything. And that can be, uh, that can be challenging. So uh, that's why if you look at most billionaire investors, uh, they're going to hold on to as much equity in their company as possible for as long as possible. We see that played out on a large scale with somebody like Rupert Murdoch, who still owns controlling interest in his company, yet he owns less than 33%, I believe, of News Corporation. But you also see it played out on a television show like Shark Tank, where you see the, uh, the entrepreneurs coming in and pitching, and they want a million dollars for 5%, but the shark wants you know, to, to give... Uh, $100,000 for 50%, right? So the entrepreneur wants to hold on to as much equity as possible. And herein you have this natural conflict between the investor and the entrepreneur. And somewhere in between, we're going to find that win-win, right? Where it really makes, we, we've got a good collaboration. And ultimately that collaboration should uh, wind up in greater profits for everybody. Hence the title, the profit. Let's get to, let's to get to greater profits. And most of these people in these businesses, and we look in this drum business, have no idea what they're doing. They've gotten where they've gotten through grit, through determination, through skill, uh, but they want to up their game. And so they're looking for that right partner. And Marcus, I have to say, he's a sharp, sharp guy, and he shows it here in this episode. So uh, the challenge that they had, the drama that they had in this business before TV even came around, right, was that the two brothers went in as 50-50 partners and they split. Um, and uh, so Mike is describing and he breaks down into tears as he's describing the fact that he had this split with his brother. Well, here's the first big challenge, because uh, Mike's brother, Scott, was the he was the artist in the business. He was. And when you think of high end drums, we're talking six thousand dollars. This is artwork. This is artistry to create a drum set like that. 
Uh, so the artistry is the selling point. That's the differentiator. That's the uh, Warren Buffett talks about having a durable, sustainable, competitive advantage in the marketplace. And for uh, the particular business model that they were using, Scott was really the competitive advantage was his unique artistry and the brand that he created. And just like the brand of Coca-Cola might be their durable competitive advantage because it's so etched into the mindset of the consumer that it's really hard to tip number one into number two spot, right? Same thing with the drums. The drums have some street cred, and but the street cred is all based on this artistry, and now Scott's gone. So a few years back prior to the episode, if you remember, if you haven't seen it yet, I'll give you a pretty good breakdown here of what uh, happened there, but I encourage you to go back and watch the episode as well. Uh, but in the episode, or prior to the episode, a few years back, Mike and Scott have a family uh, rift in business. And we hear about that a lot in business, by the way, uh, where uh, they say, don't do business with family. You know, there's a lot of family businesses that work, but here in this case, they had struggles and they had challenges. 50-50 partnership, nobody's in charge. But what, uh, you know, I'm going to jump forward here a little bit because ultimately what Marcus discovers is he has to go talk to Scott. He's got to go talk to the other brother and bring him back into the business. And what Scott reveals to Marcus is da 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 suspenseful music, enter suspenseful music. It's uh, it's well, I won't say jaw dropping, but it's it's a big deal what he discovers when he goes to talk to Scott. Okay, let's rewind just a bit and let's talk to what leads him up to that conversation with Scott. So Mike breaks down in tears. And starts talking about the fact that his brother left him in the business. So, by the way, if you're in your own business and you're experiencing this type of stuff, you're not alone, right? This type of stuff happens everywhere. It's life. Yeah. Uh, Marcus, though, once he sees that he likes the product and he sits down and he's having this conversation with Mike. Now, he goes back to the people, right? So, he wants to get to know Mike. He not only wants to get to know Mike, he wants to get to know the other people on the team. Um, in the business world, we might call that a 360-degree uh, peer uh, review, right? So Marcus, and this is brilliant. He does this on every episode. I really love this. He goes in and he talks to the other team members here, and he has a conversation with the the, the other people that are in production because Mike's basically running the company on his own where before his brother was in there. Uh, and so he goes, let's go talk to the people in production. Uh, he talks to a guy named Chris. Chris is in charge of the money, uh, and Chris knows how the money works. It's amazing that his name happens to be like mine, uh, <laughs> uh, but Chris is the money guy in this equation. Uh, my last business partnership, I was the uh, I was the product and service. I wasn't the money guy on the inside. Uh, here, Chris is the money guy. So, uh, and Chris knows his numbers. He knows the breakdowns of the business. And here's, here's what's fascinating. Here's a company. The company's doing, they did a million dollars in sales previously, right? So the, you look at a number like a million dollars, and most people would think, wow, a million dollars, that sounds really good, right? But, you know, a million dollars is okay, uh, but you've heard before that it's not how much money you make, it's how much you keep, right? So I think you said keep. If you say keep, write it in, tweet it. Keep, that's the correct answer, right? It's how much money you keep. If you have a better answer, if you say something like grow, throw it in there too, and we'll have a, a healthy conversation about that. <laughs> um, so 
out of a million dollars, it's possible to make a million dollars and not really make anything. Uh, this is exactly what uh, uh, Marcus was going to go on to find that this company was doing. They were losing about $200,000 a year. So at some level, you could say they have success. They've got these drum sets all you know in the hands of people that are uh, amazing musicians. But at the same time, they're losing $200,000 a year. And that's not the worst part of it. So this is where this is where the rubber meets the road. As you begin to investigate deeper into the business, as Marcus begins to investigate deeper into the business, I think that's why people like you and I appreciate shows like this, unless we just like the drama as well. Um, I think there's you know there's learnings from it. it's like The Apprentice. There's learnings that we can get from shows like this that have real world applicability, uh, but they're uh, they're. They're clothing them in entertainment in a way that keeps us engaged, that keeps us inspired. Uh, and so that's part of the fun part. That's why I love this, t- uh, this type of a show. Uh, but as, as, my, as uh, Marcus rather begins his conversations with uh, the other members of the team, the people that are there, he finds out that they're all pointing the finger back to Mike. That Chris, who's in charge of finance, is pointing the finger back to Mike. Uh, Marcus says, what do you believe the margin should be? Right. And just from an educational standpoint, the, the margin, the net margin is going to be how much money is left over at the end of the day. You make a million. If there's two hundred thousand dollars left, you had two hundred thousand dollar net. Yeah. Um, and I know I may be uh, preaching to the choir here, but uh, let's keep it real. Right. So he asked him, what should the what should the net profit be in this business with a million dollars in sales? And Chris, who's in charge of finance, says it should be 40 percent. And. 40% is, is uh, pretty high for a business. That's nice. You know, if you could do 30%, that's nice, right? But 40, he says it should be 40%. So Marcus asks the very telling question. And he says, if Mike just stayed out of things and didn't put his hands on things and get involved, do you believe that with the goals that you set out and the plan that you set out, that you'd actually hit that 40% margin? And Chris said, yes. Oh my God. Uh, what do you do with that? Uh, so Chris is pointing at Mike as being the problem. Uh, the people on the production line are pointing at Mike as being uh, uh, as Mike as being the issue as well. Uh, and so Marcus knows that he's got a problem with the three areas he looks: people, uh, process, and then and product. And if you're wondering why my thumbs all wrapped up, I've been doing jujitsu lately, so I shed a little blood. Uh, we shed blood both in business and life, but it's okay, right? It's all going to work out fine. Uh, so these guys have been pouring their blood, their sweat, and their tears into their business, and they've got you know they got a good mentor. And I got to tell you, I am absolutely uh, I, I, I'm surprised that Marcus chose to invest in this business. Uh, but Marcus, the impression that I get from him is you know he's a no BS guy. Uh, and he's gotten much stricter over the episodes, um, but he's also, he's got a lot of heart. And, you know, if you're looking for a partner, a partner that knows the numbers, you know, I, I appreciate tough, but fair. Um, Trump showed that in The Apprentice too. He showed Trump, uh, uh, Trump, he showed Trump, but fair. <laughs> tough, but fair in The Apprentice, in my opinion. Uh doesn't mean that I agree with everything about it, but he showed tough but fair. Yeah, so Marcus shows tough but fair. And what's special about Marcus also, and especially in this episode, is that he has the heart to be able to sit down with the people because ultimately the business is all about people. 
Right? Richard Branson says uh, even the customers aren't number one. The employees are number one because if you put the employees number one, they're going to take care of the customers. And so he sits down. And it's not just from a, a responsibility perspective. It's from the perspective of, is this person a person I want to partner with? We see this time and time again on Shark Tank as well, where they're, they're, they're looking at the people. Do I want to be in a business partnership with them? Um, Marcus is doing the thing, same thing right here. He's saying, do I want to be in a business partnership with Mike? You know, Mike, here, I'm hearing that there's problems here amongst the team. I'm hearing there's been a rift between the two brothers. One has to ask oneself, is there an inherent challenge somewhere here with the person running the company? And if there is... Uh, is that something you'd rather walk away from, right? So I look at Marcus's entire job, and I believe Marcus looks at it in the same way, as being risk management. He's got to minimize his risk in terms of where he's going to put his money. And then once he's minimized that, he wants to minimize the risk, he wants to maximize the return, uh, and he minimizes the risk by getting to understand the people. Because there's always going to be an opportunity cost, right? If he's got 400 grand, it, you know, what would that 400 grand do someplace else? Could it make him more money someplace else? Would it be more useful someplace else? Well, quite possibly. So he has to evaluate these things. And in looking at the challenges here, ask yourself the question, you know, what would you do with that? If you know there's already these people problems inside uh, the company, is, you know, do you want to roll the dice? And Marcus does not consider himself to be a gambler. He says, I don't gamble. I don't like to lose money. A lot of people think that being an investor, which really Marcus is, he's an investor, turnaround expert. A lot of people think that uh, being an investor is a risky venture. Uh, but I love the quote from Donald Trump when he said, you know, uh, somebody said, well, a reporter asked him, what uh, is it risky to, to be in the casino business? And he said, well, it's a lot riskier to gamble in the casino than it is to own it. Right. So uh, counter to popular thought, investors aren't the, the risk takers. They look to minimize risk. There's always going to be some risk. They look to minimize the risk while maximizing the return and hence the necessity of the right people. Because if you get the wrong people in there and you get poison inside there, that can be cancerous inside the organization and it'll just never, ever, ever take off. That's why most investors say they invest in the people. Um, so Marcus is, uh, what, I, what I really appreciate about him here in the episode is that he shows the caringness and he shows the heart when he sits down with Mike and Mike's in tears, right? Something we wouldn't normally expect to see in a business environment and go, boy, this person's you know got the drive and the fire to make it. But Marcus has a, a maturity about him where he's able to appreciate that and to sit with that and to have a conversation to get to the root of the problem because I, I, ultimately uh, relationships and businesses are all about solving problems. Uh, and I can't say that I've always displayed the same level of maturity that he displays here. So, uh, you know, kudos to Marcus in terms of having the willingness to go there. Still surprised he invested, but... Um, he had the conversation there. Everybody's pointing the finger at Mike. Other things. Then he takes a look at the finances, right? Something, once again, that we don't get to see in other television shows is why I really like it. And he sits down, gets right to the point, asks the questions. You know, who knows with the cutting and editing and all that stuff, how long it took to get to that point. But my feeling is the questions are pretty precise questions that he could get right to. Okay. Now, uh, if you're running your own business, these are questions that you probably want to be asking yourself. Uh, if you're thinking about it, 
let your mind go there. Even if you're not thinking about it, let your mind go there. Because we're living in such an exciting time right now where there's possibilities to create a brand like never before through social media, through all these things, and then monetize that brand yourself, right? And, and so this is your time. This, is, this could be for you too, right? So um, he looks at the numbers of the business. So far, here's the numbers. Uh, there was 40. So first he's looking at the debt, right? Because we got debt, then we've got what's coming in. Um, and uh, so they've got $45,000 in credit card debt in the episode. They got, uh, no, yeah, 45000 in credit card debt, 35000 in checks that they can't mail to people that they've already written out. They've got twenty k owed to vendors. Um, and let's see, and two hundred k in profit uh, owed to customers, whatever that means. I don't really know how they were calculating that, uh, but essentially he said you got about three hundred k in debt. That was the bottom line, right? Uh, and they made a million dollars the year before, so three hundred k in debt, million dollars annually, uh, and they lost two hundred k. Uh, that financial year. So that's the current state of affairs. And he's looking straight in. What I love about the numbers, and I know if, you, if, you, if you're if you somebody that can't get your head around the numbers or the numbers bug you or something like, I, and by the way, I hated math in school. I have no idea how I made it through. I think I was, uh, I must have been, uh, I don't know, good at something, you know, that's like uh, the talented Mr. Ripley or something. That's No, that's too weird and perverse. But I was, <laughs> I was able to somehow maneuver my way through getting out of math in school. School, and now I kick myself in the head for it because, you know, math is the language of business. It's the language of finance. It's no wonder that so many people are, you know, uh, below the poverty line, right? So we get to get the get our thinking switched on, and a show like this can help us to do it. Uh, so that's the financial status of the company. Here's the thing: if there's debt anywhere, one thing that I'd like to encourage uh, you because you're the one I'm talking to. But one thing I'd like to, I always encourage anybody to do is consider the idea that Warren Buffett puts out. And one of the things he says is debt is not what does people in. It's debt to equity, or well, not equity. Well, I'm talking company language. It's debt to revenue ratio, right? Money coming in or debt to income ratio. Let's bring it down to an individual. Debt to income ratio. If you've got debt, but the income's going up, according to Buffett, and I'm not a financial advisor, I can't tell you that, but according to Buffett, if you got debt, but the income's going up, then there's not a problem, right? If the revenue's going up, then there's not a problem. But if you got debt and the revenue's going down like we have at this drum store, the revenue went down that year. And it started going down in this episode in 2014. So the debts were rising and the revenues were dropping. That therein lies a problem. Uh, because if you look even at the biggest companies in the world, you look at Berkshire Hathaway, which trades for more than any other stock on the out there in the exchange, uh, 134 grand, I think, for a single share of Berkshire Hathaway. And for some contrast, Coca-Cola trades at like $46 a share. Um, but so that just gives you some contrast. But Warren Buffett has 50 million the last time I checked for $50 million in debt. And does that sound like a lot to you? <laughs> it sounds like a lot to me, right? But... 50 million in debt if you've got a company with a, a book value means assets of 134 billion dollars that dwarfs the debt that's nothing so the debt isn't what's going to do the company in it's debt to revenue ratio and so the uh, or debt to income ratio and then the cost model and the the net that they're able to keep at the end of the day and Marcus points all that out he finds it really easily and he dives into the process, 
now at this point in the in the episode. Uh, once again, if you have different ideas, let me know. Uh, uh, tweet them in. We've got uh, we're uh, we got a little bit more time here, so I want to go into the process. And this is this is a side of things that I see that Marcus does that I haven't seen in other places, and he does it uh, really well. He laid out a ten point system for them to systemize their processes within this company uh, to ameliorate the uh, the creation and the delivery of the drum sets. That's what he set up to do. You know, because he wants to visit the factory, get his boots on the ground and, and, and take a look around. And as he does, he looks at a, a big mess, as he often does in a lot of these episodes. He walks in and he's like, this is where you're doing business? Um, shoot, if he walked into half the places I've done business, he'd say the same thing. It's like, this is where you're doing business? He looks around. And uh, I had an old business partner who used to tell me is, you know, it could look like hell on the inside, but as long as it's, uh, you know, that the, the consumer doesn't feel it, it's all right. I, I think I disagree with that because what's on the inside is going to project outward to the outside. So it's, it's going to be uh, palpable for people. Uh, but Marcus goes in and he says, we need to clean up your operations. So I love the flow through here. He's checking out the people. He's going in to clean up the operations. And the first thing he does is he sits down with them and he says, okay, I'm going to cut a check. So he sits down with Mike and he sits down with Chris, who's the head of finance. Now, Chris is, acts like a partner, but he's not a partner, right? So Mike and Chris sit down. Marcus says, I'm about to write. He says, I'll write you a check. Here's the deal I'm going to propose. Right, and this could be you. <laughs> um, he says, "Here's the deal I propose. I want to write you a check for four hundred thousand dollars. Right, in exchange for that, I want thirty three, thirty three percent of your company, which essentially he's asking for, you know, a third of the company. He wants a third control. And he looks at Mike and he said, "But you're not going to keep all the rest." And to Mike's credit, you know, because Mike was having all these people problems. To Mike's credit, he says, "No." He says, it's time that I bring Chris in. And Chris is the financial partner. And, you know, so much to Chris's surprise. Here you got Marcus putting 400 grand in. Chris has now made a third partner in the business. So we've got a three-way partnership. And uh, you've got somebody who's spent their life, put, poured their blood, their sweat, their tears into this business, who's now an owner. So they become a full equity partner. And this is something I really appreciate about Marcus. Marcus brings that to the table and he shows appreciation for the people within the organization that are building a dream. And, you know, it goes back to the, the, the quote from Richard Branson. If you, you know, if you take care of the team, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase and to put in my own words, take, you know, it takes teamwork to make the dream work. If you take care of the team, uh, then they're going to ultimately take care of the customers. And you've got a functioning organization that can move powerfully forward into the future. If you've got problems that are cancerous problems in the people, there's a challenge. If you've got problems in the processes, there's a challenge. Right. So what Marcus then did is he writes the check and he says, this is also contingent on the fact that I'm going to go back and get Scott. So the other brother, right, the other brother that... Uh, left the company before who was the real artisan, who was the uh, competitive advantage in relationship to the type of business model that they were doing. And so Marcus gets to take a trip out to see him. Uh, but before he does that, he lays out, and, and this is brilliant, he lays out the responsibilities for each person. And I think that oftentimes inside a business, this is uh, one of the things that really aren't clear 
inside the business is that, uh, you know, what are the responsibilities of Mike? Because everybody was saying that Mike was trampling all over them, pulling them from project to project. And if you've, if you've ever worked any place, I know, hopefully you have, um, if you've ever worked any place and you've been pulled from thing to thing, you know what that's like because you can't get completion on one thing because you're being, uh, you know, you're diversified, your attention's scattered and all over the place. All right. So, uh, and by the way, as a manager, as a, a leader, I've done that myself with teams before, you know, not uh, purposefully, not with intention. And, you know, if you're in a leadership position, I think we're all leaders at some level. You're the leader of your own life, you know, so maybe you just do it to yourself, but where you pull yourself from thing to thing and without really completing one thing. Right. So leadership starts within. Yeah. So whether you're doing it in your own life or you're, you're looking to grow a team or anything like that, we've got such valuable lessons here. Right. So what Marcus does is he delineates the tasks and he makes it clear to the entire team that are there. And I hope you're enjoying this. If this let me know if this is good. If you like it, let me know. Uh, tweet me at Chris Howard Live or write it underneath the video. Uh, and, you know, you know, go and grab the iTunes podcast. Go, go on uh, and under the video. Write some comments in there. I want to hear what you think. If you want more of something, let me know. If you want less of something, let me know. As long as it's not less of me. If you want less of that, uh, uh, then uh, go, go watch a different sheep show. <laughs> <laughs> but I love you anyway, right? <laughs> but um, so the so the deal is Marcus delineates the tasks. He says, this person's going to be responsible for this. This person's going to be responsible for this. And they both resp- report to me. I'm the final say. So now the entire team knows kind of the chain of command, not even kind of, the, the chain of command. They know where to go. And before it was just, uh, I want to say, uh, uh, a bordel. Bordel is French for a... Uh, a whorehouse, sorry for the language there, ladies, but a bordel, it's just a big mix. <laughs> I worked for a French company for a long time, so I got fun words like that along the way. But uh, nonetheless, now we've got a direct reporting structure. Mike is put in his place even as the owner because he needs guidance. And I think we all need guidance along the way. We need mentors. We need guides. I know I do. I continually seek them out. I think we have to do that every step of the way. Jack Welch from GE says that the winning organization is the continually learning and uh, and implementing organization. So we got to be constantly learning and applying those, those learnings as these guys are here now uh, with Marcus. So Marcus takes a trip. Ta-da! I'm going to change the beat, change the pace here a little bit. And Marcus takes a trip out to see uh, long lost brother Scott and have a conversation with him. And so he goes out to see Scott. Scott gets teary eyed as well. And Scott says, uh, and here's where the reveal is. Scott said, you know, when I was over there, we went in as 50-50 partners. But I was the creator. I was the one that was out creating the drum sets that, you know, that these rock stars are using. And my brother, Mike, uh, anytime he gave me a timeline or a schedule. So you got two days to finish this project. My brother, Mike, would come down on me and, uh, you know, kind of beat the hell out of me. Uh, and in addition, he would turn the rest of the team against me. And that's that cancer that we talk about that can be within an organization that sometimes just need to be extracted because that type of stuff will kill an organization, right? So he said, Mike would turn the entire team at me. They'd laugh at me. They'd not give me the time of day. And which is utterly ridiculous because he's the 
he's the cog in the wheel that makes everything work. You know, he's the piece of the machine that makes the whole thing work. And so, you know, I'm obviously sharing my opinion. I want your opinion. I want you to communicate with me. So let me know. So what happens is they get, uh, they get Scott back on board to see if they can make it work. Hey, we got therapy on uh, the profit on business television on CNBC. We've got uh, therapy and we see that, you know, we're holistic beings in life. Every part of our life touches onto every other part. So do our relationships have something to do with our career? Absolutely. Freaking lutely. You know, does our career or career stress, can they impact our relationships? Yes. Family relationships, can they impact? Yes. Can money problems impact health problems? Yes. You know, we're holistic beings and we can see that played out here. And what I love about Marcus uh, in this particular episode and in a lot of the episodes that he does is he creates the space for that because he has the business understanding and maturity to work with those human elements Uh, And ultimately, it does come down to people and relationships. And that can be some of the biggest challenges that we have in business. Bottom line, he gets Scott back. They come in. Um, They've got some dramas internally. We get to see the human issues work themselves out. And uh, we get the issues handled. Marcus is able to reduce the cost because that was another big thing in this episode. It was costing them too much to make a drum set. And uh, there's one point that we have to uh, talk about and we're going to have to wrap here pretty soon because we got some uh, uh, other shows coming in. But uh, one thing that Marcus put in place here, uh, which I think is really critical, and we'll go into this because uh, he does it in multiple, uh, in multiple episodes that he does, but he puts in a different pricing structure for the drum sets. And he calls it, uh, let's see if I can find this. Uh, I'm really connected with you while I'm looking for this. Um, that's the Jedi mind trick, by the way. I'm really connected. Feel the connection. Uh, he calls it, I'm going to make it up. I'll paraphrase. Good, better, best. Right? So he says, we need to find pricings for our drum sets that are not just $6,000 that outprice the average consumer. But we've got to find a drum set that's priced at no more than eight hundred dollars, you know, roughly, he said. Uh, I think it was eight ninety five, maybe. But we need to find that drum set that can be a first touch point for the consumer, where they can fall in love with these drums, and then have better a better set that they can evolve to, and then have the best set that they can eventually buy, because uh, otherwise. Uh, by the way, take away the word otherwise. This is what we call vertical product integration. Vertical product integration is where a consumer touches as a first touch, a a first experience of the product or service, loves it so much that they want to move to the next step, loves that so much that they want to move to the next step. And, you know, in the case of drums, that can be over time. It can even be over a lifetime. But there you're starting to get the essence of a sustainable business model that can really work rather than just attempting to sell drums. And, uh, And this is... Uh, once again, this is part of the brilliance of, of Marcus. Kudos to him in terms of uh, looking at an integrative system. Um, every business that I've built, the last one that we did $100 million in sales with was in, uh, based on vertical integration. Every business I help people to build based on, on a vertical integration, almost, you know, almost everyone. Let's, let's keep it real, right? But uh, we'll look at vid- ver- vertical integrated models because then you're looking at what's the lifetime value of the customer rather than just uh, you know, selling one-off anything, right? Uh, and so he wanted uh, in in pricing a drum set at eight nine seven. He wanted a low barrier to entry, easy bite for the consumer to do it. Now, uh, just to keep it real, eight nine seven is still 
you know, it's not the lowest barrier to entry, easy bite. The lowest barrier to entry bite could be uh, a television show. You turn on the TV, you know, the Oprah Winfrey show. You see that. That's the first uh, that's the first taste of what Oprah is. And then there could be a vertical integration of products and services that fall below in logical steps. But to take an illogical leap of 6,000 may be too big a leap. You know, certainly it all depends on the avatar or the, the uh, you know, the, the customer in mind. So you want to make a high end. So you look at Ferrari. Ferrari has, you know, to, to buy a Ferrari for most people, very high end. But they have low end products and services too, because you can buy the Ferrari hat. You can buy the Ferrari t-shirt or the Ferrari watch. And, and you got to ask yourself, who are those geared toward? Totally different marketplace. It's not the same guy that buys the Ferrari that buys the watch, right? Think about it. Um, so uh, Marcus schools these guys in terms of being able to get their products del- uh, created cheaper. And this was a big problem for them because they didn't know how to build drums once Scott had left. So Scott was such an integral part of this business that um, ultimately, if I'm to sum this entire episode up, I say it comes down to people. It comes down to the relationships amongst people. And I know enough uh, from my own business experience that people issues can make or break an organization. And I've been on the receiving end of, and the, you know, I played part also in both of those things, right? So I think if there's a lesson to be gleaned from the, there's so many lessons there. It's, you know, it's hard to uh, count them all, but we'll make an attempt. Here we go. Ready? And then we'll get the big one about the people, right? Remind me if I forget. So big lessons. You know, you want to look at people, process, product. Another lesson that we get from this uh, from this show is to get your boots on the ground. I mean, if you were an investor, you'd want to get your boots on the ground. But if you're an owner of a company, you want to get your boots on the ground. If you're considering launching a company, you want to get your boots on the ground. You want to, it's called the scuttlebutt method in investing. You get out there and you just find out what's happening, right? So go out and talk to the people. Have uh, And I'm reminding myself of lessons along the way. So, so Chris, go out there and talk to the people. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> right, so we're both in the same court, right? So get out there, talk. Talk to the people, have the conversations, find out what's going on really on the ground in order to get an accurate perception. Because if you're just looking at things from one vantage point, it's going to be a myopic perspective of a bigger pie. Um, So he talks to the people, look at the relationships there and the interrelationship between people. It's like family dynamics, right? And literally he ended up doing therapy inside the show and he's not a therapist, but he did a, a pretty darn good job. Um, bringing of bringing back together the parts. This is why I'm surprised he invested because when you got those types of problems, I think most people would have uh, overlooked the investment. They would have walked away. But he also is a turnaround expert and he's gaining a significant stake in that company with the ability to control the way things go. And I think he probably believed that the brand dominance in an elite space was strong enough and the product was strong enough that if he was to get Scott back in, he could make it work one way or the other, which could have ultimately included getting rid of Mike if he needed to. You know, sometimes decisions are hard to make and he's made lots of uh, uh, hard uh, decisions in here. So we've got the people examining the process. We also looked at him decreasing the costs of production of the drums. He couldn't keep the cost structure at the cost structure for a $6,000 price drum set with a 15% margin. They were only making 15% on that. 
That's that's crazy. With that type of a product and that elite a clientele, they'd be out of business. It would be done. There was no reason to even continue. So we needed to increase the margin, which means decreasing the cost, getting a cheaper product to market for the masses, for the consumers, for the, you know, for the families that are out there that want the first drum set for their child. And then, well, you know, for a teenage child uh, at eight ninety five, and then build up and grow into the other drum sets. So vertical integration, we looked at, he cleaned up the workplace. It was a very disorganized workplace. Uh, and he was able to increase the margins uh, all within this episode, however long it took him to fill, uh, to, to, to film this episode. Uh, so I think overall, awesome episode. Uh, really proud of the work that they did inside there. Um, you know what? I they, they do come back and they do uh, retakes of the business. And uh, we'll look at uh, how far these businesses have come over time. Uh, I just wanted to give you a first taste of our very first episode here of The Profit. And uh, sure to have incredible guests on this show because I've got a lot of uh, friends in the business space that uh, are incredible incredible uh, investors and people that have built businesses to the multi-million dollar level and beyond over and over and over again. So I uh, hope you enjoyed the time here. Uh, I certainly did. And uh, until the next time we see you, uh, we're going to put a little after buzz music in. And uh, remember, you can reach me on, at, 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 let's see, at Chris Howard Live. Uh, that's on Twitter at uh, legendarylivingdaily.com for tips, motivation, that type of stuff. And legendarylivingtv.com on YouTube. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.